0: Tinnitus is a neurologic condition that can be highly distressing. According to some surveys, it affects up to 15% of our population. How can medical professionals counsel their patients on this condition? And are we moving closer to understanding the basic triggers of tinnitus? You are listening to ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery and Practicing General Surgeon. Our guest today is Dr. Richard Salvi, Professor in the Department of Communicative Disorders and Sciences and Director of the Center for Hearing and Deafness at the State University of New York at Buffalo School of Medicine. Dr. Salvi is an internationally respected expert on tinnitus. Welcome Dr. Salvi.
1: It's a pleasure to be here and speaking with you on a topic that's very timely and uh, important one.
0: We are discussing the mechanisms of tinnitus and its impact on the daily lives of our patients. Dr. Salvi, would you review for us what exactly is tinnitus?
1: Well, tinnitus is a condition that for most people involves the perception of a phantom sound. You hear a ringing, rushing, whooshing sometimes a sensation in the absence of any external stimulus. Sometimes these phantom sounds can take on a more unusual characteristic. They can sound like crickets or bacon frying in a pan, and they can be quite annoying and loud and disturbing for individuals.
0: Does this happen all the time?
1: Many of us experience tinnitus transiently. If we uh, listen to a loud sound, let's say a firecracker goes off, or you pound a nail... You might hear this ringing, it might last for maybe 10 or 15 seconds, but then it goes away. But for some individuals, especially those that have had hearing loss, either from age-related hearing loss or uh, severe noise-induced hearing loss or even congenital hearing losses, the tinnitus can be there 100% of the time and it can be very intense and disturbing and follows you around 24 hours a day, all your waking hours. So it really can be quite debilitating for some individuals.
0: Now, when they are listening to speech or music or whatever, do they still hear the tinnitus?
1: Yes, they can. This varies a little bit from individual to individual. Sometimes individuals, if there's a little bit of background noise in the room, let's say a fan or an air conditioner, that's sufficient to basically cover up or mask the tinnitus. For other individuals, however, it's loud enough that the tinnitus can interfere with the detection of speech or listening to sounds in the environment. Part of that, I think, the interference comes about from what your brain decides to attend to. If it decides to attend to the tinnitus, then that basically is the dominant perception in your brain. If you can sort of direct your attention away from the tinnitus, then you can sort of focus on sounds in the environment that you're interested in listening to.
0: Why do people get this?
1: It's not fully known, but tinnitus is often associated with hearing loss. So the conventional wisdom these days is that you often develop tinnitus as a result of damage to your inner ear. When you get damage to your inner ear, there's a lack of activity that goes from your ear into your brain. And this lack of activity, we think, triggers some sort of reorganization of the brain allowing the brain activity, which we're really unaware of most of the time, to basically rise up and produce this phantom sound. So many people believe currently that tinnitus originates in the brain, and there's some good evidence for this right now from brain imaging studies done in our lab as well as other labs around the world.
0: How do you usually get this injury in the middle ear?
1: It's actually not in the middle ear. Typically, the injury comes to the inner ear. Your sense of hearing begins when a group of receptors in your ear called sensory hair cells basically convert the sound into neural activity. You can think of these hair cells as much like a microphone that picks up sound. Once these hair cells convert the sound into neural activity, they then transfer it from the auditory nerve into the auditory brain. And as a consequence of aging, aging will lead to degeneration of the sensory hair cells, You get rid of the microphones that pick up the sound, and you no longer are sending information into the brain. The same thing would happen with noise-induced hearing loss. The noise may be so loud that it'll damage the sensory hair cells, and you'll no longer be getting information going from the ear into the brain. And we think it's the lack of information that's going from the ear into the brain that really becomes the trigger for producing some abnormal activity in the brain. A good analogy for tinnitus is phantom limb pain. In the case of phantom limb pain, you cut off an arm or an appendage, and now you get feeling or a sensation of pain from this limb that's no longer attached to your body. So tinnitus, in many ways, is analogous to phantom limb pain. The limb, in this case, is being cut off as a limb or part of your ear that's being damaged by noise or aging.
0: So it doesn't matter what the insult is, it's the volume of the insult.
1: Generally, the more severe your hearing loss, the more likely you are to get tinnitus, although there are some individuals with minimal damage or minimal evidence of hearing loss that can get tinnitus.
0: If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and our guest today is Dr. Richard Salvey, professor in the Department of Communicative Disorders and Sciences and director of the Center for Hearing and Deafness at the State University of New York at Buffalo School of Medicine. Dr. Salvi is an internationally respected expert on tinnitus. We are discussing the mechanisms of tinnitus and its impact on the daily lives of our patients. Dr. Salvi, describe what the patients actually hear.
1: The most common experience that patients describe with tinnitus is they'll say that they hear a ringing in their ears, much like a pure tone. So oftentimes, if you ask a patient to match an external sound to the sound that they're perceiving in their head or ear, they will match it to a pure tone. Other times, it'll sound like a buzzing, ringing, a whooshing sensation. Some patients describe their uh, tinnitus as sounding like a piece of bacon being fried or sounds like cicadas chirping away. So it varies from one individual to the next. But the most common sort of reports is it sounds like a ringing
0: sensation. They can't just repress it and, so to speak, not hear it?
1: If they're sitting in a quiet room, it's almost impossible to suppress it. There are ways of sort of dampening out the perception, and usually that involves listening to some sounds in the environment. A typical way to suppress this might be to take your radio and tune it in between stations so you're getting some hissing sound or a noise, white noise. Turn up the volume, and that white noise often is sufficient to suppress the tinnitus. Another way is just simply listen to some pleasant music in the background, something that's loud enough that it partially covers up your tinnitus. In most cases, you're not aware of your tinnitus when you have sounds in your environment. It becomes extremely troublesome when you're trying to go to sleep at night There are no sounds. You want it to be quiet, and this phantom sound is with you as you're going to bed. Or if you're sitting in front of your computer trying to type away and you hear this phantom sound, or if you're trying to read a book in a quiet room, oftentimes the tinnitus will sort of invade your privacy, your acoustic privacy. And sort of take over and you'll lose your concentration. You'll hear this buzzing and ringing sensation and you just can't escape it. It just follows you around everywhere that you go.
0: Do the everyday noises that go on about us, do they exacerbate tinnitus?
1: Generally not. Generally, they tend to suppress the tinnitus. One of the ways that some patients with hearing loss get relief from their tinnitus is if they wear a hearing aid. The hearing aid will amplify the ambient sounds in the environment, raise them up to a level that will suppress the tinnitus. The patient will also get an added benefit is they'll get some improvement to their hearing in the regions where they have the hearing loss. So the hearing aid is designed mainly to amplify the sounds in the region of hearing loss. You hear better, it'll amplify some of the ambient noise in the environment, and that'll suppress the tinnitus. There are individuals, however, will tell you that when their tinnitus is loud, if they try to put any noise in the environment, the tinnitus actually gets louder and rises above the sounds in the environment. So for these individuals, tinnitus is extremely troubling because normally they cannot get any benefit from masking or from any ambient sounds in the room. So this becomes extremely troubling for some individuals.
0: Are there any diseases that cause tinnitus?
1: Anything that causes hearing loss tends to cause tinnitus. For example, one of the balance disorders is Meniere's disease. Patients complain of dizziness and balance problems. They also tend to get a fluctuating low-frequency hearing loss. When the low-frequency hearing loss and the balance problems appear, they often get a low-frequency or low-pitched tinnitus. So the tinnitus here is sort of correlated with the low-frequency hearing loss. Some genetic causes of hearing loss will induce this. Some cases of hypothyroidism will induce tinnitus and uh, hearing loss, especially it's particularly severe. Anti-cancer drugs, some of the anti-cancer drugs like cisplatin and carboplatin, if they're taken at high doses, they'll induce a hearing loss. They will also tend to induce tinnitus. Some of the antibiotics, aminoglycoside antibiotics like canamycin, gentamycin, streptomycin, They induce hearing loss if they're taken for prolonged periods of time, and oftentimes this gives rise to tinnitus.
0: Generally speaking, in most cases of tinnitus, is there some hearing loss?
1: I would say in the vast majority of cases, you have a hearing loss. I have to be careful here because when you go in to get your hearing test, the conventional hearing test, you're tested from about 125 hertz up to 8,000 hertz. Human beings, however, actually can hear much higher frequencies, all the way up to about 20 kilohertz. The conventional hearing test, however, never tests between about 8 and 20 kilohertz. So I suspect that people that claim they have normal hearing, if they were to go and have a really more extensive and robust hearing test, that tested the really super high frequencies, most individuals would be found to have a hearing loss at these higher frequencies. But the conventional hearing test doesn't really test you above 8,000 hertz.
0: How long have we known about this disorder?
1: Oh, this goes back into the times of the Egyptians. People report hearing tinnitus and getting relief by sitting near a waterfall. So it dates back to very ancient times. You can hear reports of this or read about reports of this in the, the ancient literature and even some of the relief masking or sounds in the environment have been reported in the ancient literature. So it's been around forever.
0: I want to thank our guest, Dr. Richard Salvi. We have been discussing the mechanisms of tinnitus and its impact on the daily lives of our patients. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring on demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll free at 888 MDXM 157. And thank you for listening.